It's the 15th of April, 2021. It's a Thursday. We've come here to practice in meditation of kamatana. It's kamatana. It's the basis of work for our hearts. You can say that there are four of these bases. The first is the body. The second is vedana, feelings. The third is jitta, the mind. And the fourth is dhamma. And these are the foundations that we should recollect, the foundations for our sati, our mindfulness. And when our mindfulness is established in these four bases, then it's like we have built a camp, a uh, military base, or a uh, fort to protect us against the enemies. And if we have built that fort well, it's well established in the enemy. It's not able to break through. It's not able to get through the walls. And we can compare our minds to being like a city. And if we protect that city and look after it uh, well, then it will be secure. So our minds, they need our mindfulness. They're looking after them. And this mindfulness, it needs um, objects. It needs bases. And so like recollecting this body, we see that all of the love that we have, the hate that we have, the fear that is there, this all arises because of attachment to bodies, whether it's our body or the body of other beings. And so we have this attachment towards them, this upadana. And we see in a uh, dependent co-arising that this attachment, it leads on to becoming and then birth. And from birth, there's old age, sickness and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. And this all arises because of ignorance, uh, craving and clinging. But if we shorten that, we can just shorten it uh, to upadana, to clinging. That this is the cause for suffering to arise, that suffering arises because of our attachments. We can look at this in quite a small or a minor way. Say there's a glass that we really like. And if we attach to that glass and it breaks, um, then we suffer. But that glass itself, it doesn't suffer. The things that we attach to, the objects, they don't suffer along with us. It's the people who attach to them. They are the ones that suffer. And uh, so whether people have um, a little bit of money or a lot of uh, money, um, they experience suffering in their own ways. And in order to get these objects um, that we own, we need to go and find them. We need to spend money on uh, getting them. Because we see that not having these objects is a source of stress for us. So we work to try and get them. And there's stress involved in that seeking of these objects. But then when we get them, we need to look after them. We need to care for them, to be cautious around them. And if we're not cautious, um, then they can easily break. When they break, if the heart is attached to them, then suffering arises. There's even more stress there. And so we have to look after these things. 
And uh, we try to instruct ourselves that these things, they're not constant, they're breakable. But we also have to look after them externally. If uh, we have children, then we tell our children to be careful around these glasses. If there are people working in the kitchen, we tell them to be careful. We try to use them well. We care for them, look after them, we clean them, so we can use them for a long time. But if we're not cautious, um, then they break and they become wasted. Um, so sometimes this quality of anicca, this inconstancy, it uh, can arise quite clearly in this way, like when a glass breaks. But at other times it can be quite difficult to see this. And there can be children or young novices who don't understand this. So there was one time that there was a great teacher who liked to instruct about this aspect of inconstancy. And we'd always talk about this in his Dharma talks, that the body is something inconstant, that all material things of this world, they're unstable, they're all breakable. And uh, the teacher, he would talk in this way, but one of the novices staying with him, he didn't really understand. He looked at his arms bowl in front of him, and he couldn't see how this thing was breakable, how it was changing. He looked at it and it looked all hard and solid and he asked himself, well, where is the change within this thing? So he took out a hammer and he hit his arms ball with it and gave it a big dent. And then he proudly went up to his teacher and said, look, I've seen the inconstancy, the change of this bowl already. It's right here. Uh, but this novice, um, he had some kind of wisdom to him, but it wasn't samma panya, it wasn't right wisdom, it wasn't correct wisdom. Because really, the nature of all things is to be inconstant, is to be unstable, and they're like that already. We don't have to go and purposefully destroy them in order to see that. But that novice didn't understand this. So when we have mindfulness, then we should always be instructing our hearts that these bodies, they're not sure, yeah? The body is just a body. And if we have mindfulness, if our samadhi is well established, then we will understand this and see that this thing really is just a body. And why is that? It's because we've contemplated already. We've seen the truth of these things. That the bodies of people, the bodies of animals, Ask ourselves, well, why do they stay around? How is it that they survive? And they survive due to food. If they don't take in food, then they won't have the energy to stay on. The bodies of animals are like this. The bodies of people are like this, that they can't survive without food. They need water as well. And it's the blood in the body that takes these nutrients around uh, to the different parts of the body to feed and nourish the cells. And do we see that? Do we see how the elements here, like the fire element, um, they nourish the body? The, the fire element gives the body its heat, its warmth, so that it's able to survive. And if the temperature is too high or if it's too hot, then uh, we can't stay on. And all the things of this body depend upon the air element as well, upon this oxygen. The oxygen gets taken in by the lungs, 
and then it gets transferred into the blood and it cleans the blood and improves it and then this gets sent around the body and uh, the blood it goes into the heart it goes from the upper chamber to the lower chamber and then it gets pumped all around the body taking the oxygen and these other nutrients around and these are the processes that the body uses to survive if we have wisdom contemplating we see that if we don't have food if there isn't this solidity or this earth element that comes into the body um, then in no long time it will pass away and the same with the water element the same with the fire element the same with the earth element uh, sorry with the air element and if there's no oxygen coming in then the blood doesn't get cleaned it's not able to nourish and look after the body the body can't endure under these circumstances and so it breaks apart so we see it's just a collection of elements in this way when we have mindfulness looking over the body um, seeing it as just being a collection of elements um, then we see that whatever we do with the body it's just elements that's doing that whether we're standing, we're sitting, we're walking, we're lying down, we see that it's just a collection of elements that's in these postures. It's just the fire, the earth, the water, the air that's standing. It's just these elements that are sitting, that are walking, that are lying down. Just these elements that are speaking, that are listening. It's not me. And if we look at them on a more subtle level, on a deeper level, we see that they're unattractive as well. You see how we need to bathe these bodies every day. We always need to be cleaning them. And when we see clearly like this, then we'll see that the body really isn't something clean or attractive. And the reason that we perceive it in that way, we see it as being something clean, is because our minds are blind. That we perceive the body as being something beautiful. And we were taught that ever since we were children, coming into this world, people told us that these things are beautiful and these things aren't beautiful. And that's how we've always understood them. And we think that this is reality, that things actually are this way. We see the bodies are being beautiful. We see that they're me and mine. When we practice, we gain a deeper understanding that the, than this. We see that these feelings of something being beautiful or something not being beautiful, these arise from the kilesas that are in control of the heart and have been for a very long time. And when we see, um, so, and that's how we see things in this way. But if wisdom arises, then we gain a different kind of understanding, a different kind of knowing, and see that these bodies really aren't attractive. And if they were beautiful, then why do we need to clean them like we do? Why do we need to rub them over with soap? Why do we need to use perfumes on them? If they were clean, then surely we wouldn't have to do these things. And why is it that cloth that is clean, when it comes into contact with the body, it becomes dirty and we have to wash it? Well, that's because these bodies are unclean things. And then when we cover um, something unclean with anything, then it turns that thing unclean as well. And do we see this? So we should think, we should contemplate in this way, 
seeing that really this, uh, these things are dirty, that there are all these unclean things under the skin that seep through the pores and then make the clothes that cover our bodies dirty. And through that we should gain the understanding that what's underneath the skin really is dirty as well. That if we just scrape the skin in any place, then blood flows out. And there's that smell of raw flesh, the kind of smell that you get in a butcher's shop, um, that comes out of the body. So we see that these bodies really aren't beautiful. And we see that that's their reality. We see that the things that we take to be beautiful, they're not real. And the things, um, the reality is that these things are not beautiful. And when we perceive it in this light, then the heart turns beautiful, it turns clean. And so these things are opposed to each other, they are inverted in this way. So we clean our bodies on a daily basis, but we also need to clean our hearts as well. And we do this through practicing the Dhamma and through seeing that these things are not beautiful. Having this as the foundation of our mindfulness, recollecting in this way. And when our minds have reached a state of peace, then we see that the body is really just a collection of elements, something that is unstable and constant, something that arises and ceases, just like how this breath it comes in and it goes out. And all the things that we own and have, what are they and what do they depend upon? That we have all of these things because we have breath. That the body is breathing, isn't that right? All the wealth that we have, whether it's a little or a lot, depends just upon this breath. There are some people who are in abject poverty. And there are some people who have just enough money to be able to eat and get by. There are others who live quite difficult lives. They don't really have much comfort in the uh, material things that they own. And then there are the people who, who are a bit better off. Um, they don't have to endure so much. And we see the people differ in this way. They go from this very um, hard state of complete poverty and we get people right up to the very wealthiest people around. It can be millionaires or these very rich people, the richest person in town, or the, rich per the richest person in the province, or the richest person in the country or the continent or the world. And people are able to get to these states of power, of wealth, becoming leaders uh, because of the barami that they have developed in the past, because they had cultivated generosity and sila, virtue, before. And that also, in order to become leaders, they need to have cultivated this barami of respect, um, the quality of respect, of humility. And so for people, say, to get elected um, as a leader in a democracy, um, they need to have developed this quality of respect in the past. And so no, ma no matter what position we get to, we shouldn't make ourselves out to be a big deal. We shouldn't get inflated egos. We need to be humble. We need to not compete so much with others. 
even though we may have a lot of knowledge, a lot of worldly wisdom, we still need to humble ourselves as well, to not brag about our knowledge, to not brag about our abilities. Though we may have a lot of wealth, have very high positions, we don't brag about that. We don't get inflated egos, but rather we need to make ourselves humble. And the Pucha, he frequently gave the example of Venerable Asaji, who was a very humble person. And even though he was an arahant, someone fully awakened, when he met with uh, Upatisa or Venerable Sariputta, um, and Venerable Sariputta asked him to teach the Dhamma to him, he responded that, I'm just someone who is new to this teaching. I'm new to the Buddha-sasana. So I can't give you a very detailed description. I can just give you quite a short teaching. Sariputta, he was wise, and he said, well, just a short teaching, that's enough for me. So Venerable Asaji taught him that the Buddha says that all dhammas arise from causes, and when those causes are absent, then that thing ceases. And just through listening to this, he was able to become a Sotapanna. So we see, he was humble in this way. And the people who are endowed with Dhamma, who have Dhamma, they become more and more humble because they abandon their conceit. And just like how when we contemplate um, into this body, we see that when there's no breath, then these bodies can't survive. And we claim that we're better than animals, but we need to die just the same as animals. And if we really were better than them, then we wouldn't die like they do. But animals die, and we do just the same. So through thinking in this way, we can abandon our conceit. We won't see ourselves as being better to, equal to, or worse than them. That all things that um, can survive, they do so through this breath. And uh, we need to die just like they do, that these bodies of ours need to break apart just the same. That they are composed of arising and ceasing just the same. There's no self, no being, no me, no other there. And do we see this? If our mindfulness is there looking after our hearts, then we will see things like this, and the heart becomes empty. And there'll be joy that arises. There's inner beauty that comes up, and the heart becomes very contented and full. And when it's like this, we see that we're walking the path towards the Dhamma, the path to attaining the Dhamma, to seeing the Dhamma. So this quality of mindfulness, and this factor for awakening, is what can take us to seeing the Dhamma. We have these factors of effort, of mindfulness, of steadiness of heart, of studying the Dhamma, and contemplating the Dhamma, such as asking ourselves, is this body just a collection of elements? Um, the earth, water, fire, and air, do these things have to disband? Do they have to break apart? Are they really me? Are these things beautiful, or are they not beautiful? And who tells us whether they're beautiful or not? So we contemplate the Dharma like this, bringing the mind to peace in this way. 
When our minds are established in samadhi, then wisdom can arise, and we really understand these things. And so our minds, they gain energy like this. And when they have this energy, then we won't be bored or tired with the practice. Always be contemplating, always be studying. You see, those people who study the scriptures, they gain knowledge in the scriptures, um, but they don't yet practice. And so they don't have what it takes to fight against all of the emotions and the sense impressions that they experience in their hearts. That even though they study these things, they still get attracted to things just like they did before. They still get averse to things just like they did before. They still attach to things in the same way that they did before. So even though people may gain a lot of knowledge in the world, they may study these worldly um, subjects, they still have attachment towards me and towards mine. So we do need to come and practice to establish our mindfulness in these four foundations and uh, to bring about um, steadiness of heart in this way. And what's especially important uh, for us to do is to establish our minds within the body because this is something that's easier for us to stay with and to contemplate. The feelings are a little bit more difficult and just looking at exclusively at the mind Um, That is the practice for someone that has very deep peace, for someone who has great steadiness of mind, for them to always be seeing the arising and ceasing of the objects of the mind. To be able to see liking and disliking as it arises, and to know uh, about these things, that these things are not me, they're not mine. The shows us that mindfulness is already very, very strong to be able to do that. It shows that our samadhi has great energy to it already. To be able to see greed as it arises and ceases and see that this isn't me. The same for hatred, the same for delusion. To see the nature of all proliferation as it happens. But these things, they're not self, they're not me, they're not other. And if we can perceive things in this light, then we gain this clear understanding of them. And the heart becomes clear as well. It becomes spacious. It becomes empty. We see that there's no real self there. And in doing that, we see Nibbana. And when this path of Sila, Samadhi and Panya comes together, then we see into Nibbana. So as we carry on practicing, then the knowledge that we gain of things becomes clearer and deeper until we're steadily able to abandon physicality and mentality. And this can take us to attaining to Maga, Pala and Nibbana. But in the beginning, what should we do to gain clear understanding? Well, the answer is that we just walk this path of sila, samadhi and panya. We have effort into cultivating uh, virtue, collectedness of heart and wisdom. So we should put our efforts into our chanting, to always be chanting without stopping, to be going over this chant of Itipiso and to do this a lot. In the beginning it might be something quite difficult to do, but we try to stay with it. Because if we just allow our minds to drift around throughout the whole day, 
then when we come to practice, we won't gain an understanding of the Dhamma. And our doubts will come back and look down on us and insult our minds. So whatever we're doing, whether we're working or whatever it is, then we shouldn't forget our meditation objects. We shouldn't forget to be cultivating our minds. If we're speaking or if we're listening, we should be meditating at the same time, chanting it to be so while we're doing these things. We train ourselves like this, do this continuously, always be cleaning and looking after our minds. Because we all want cleanliness, and we all want new things. So why is it that we don't put effort into changing our minds? And these are things that we can change. It's something that we can do. But it, it depends on us. And if we put our efforts into it, if we um, are sincere, then we can do it. It's not above our abilities. So we have this very good opportunity now to practice, and we should use that well. And the people who have wisdom, um, they will use this opportunity to contemplate into inconstancy or instability, into suffering, stress, and not self. And these are the mental objects that give rise to wisdom. So even though we may only listen to a little bit of Dhamma, but we can always be contemplating, always seeing the nature of all these feelings that come up, or the love that comes up, the hate that comes up, and see what they're about, and see how these things are inconstant. Like how if we love something a lot, if we really, really like something, we tell ourselves that this thing that's not sure, this thing is unstable. And if we don't like something, if we really hate it, then we tell ourselves it's not sure, it's not stable. We teach our minds in this way, and they'll gain an understanding that's able to change the nature of the mind. So these feelings can change. All the things in the mind, it changes. Sometimes we're feeling very lazy, but this too is possible to change. And sometimes we see other people as being very lazy as well, and we may not like them, but it's possible for them to change. It's possible for our feeling about them to change. So we should be using wisdom to protect and look after our minds in this way. And that's what this one who knows, um, that's what it is. It's wisdom that looks after the mind. So we practice like this. Always be keeping our practice with us. And just like how we have cultivated virtue and generosity a lot already. And um, we should also be meditating a lot as well. We should recollect all the generous deeds that we've done. And through doing this, then the heart glows with joy and happiness. We recollect all these good things. So we're already established in generosity and in virtue. And these two qualities are what allows us to be born in heaven. They give rise to heaven. And isn't that right? You see a Kalyana Chana, a beautiful being, someone with a beautiful heart. Um, it really is beautiful, that mind. And then what do we do from that state? When the mind is beautiful, what do we do next? We need to bring it to peace. We cultivate the merit that comes from meditation, from bhavana. 
And this is a kind of merit that's a bit more difficult to cultivate, but it's something that we can do if we are sincere in it. So just like how some people, they do this chant of itipiso, and uh, initially um, they can't even get through three rounds of it. And sometimes they can't even just do one. But as they carry on, then they are able to do more. And there are some people who are very generous, they're very good at this quality of giving, of charity. But when it comes to meditation, um, their hearts are quite weak. So they try to chant just three times, and they're not able to do that. But as they carry on trying, then they get through three times, and then they can do five, then eight, then ten. And some people can even do 185. So as we do this every single day, what we're doing is looking after our hearts. And we do this constantly, bringing the mind to peace. And when the mind is peaceful, we are gaining this merit that comes from samadhi. And when we have developed this peace already, then it's easy for us to gain understanding. It's easier for us to see into the nature of arising and ceasing. We just look at this breath as it comes in, stays for just a bit, and then it goes out. And we see into arising and ceasing right there. See how these bodies are able to survive because of this breath. If the breath comes in but doesn't go out, if it goes out but doesn't come in, then it dies and there's nothing that's left. Everything leaves us, and we leave everything. The mind has to move on, following its causes and conditions. And isn't that right? Isn't that how things are? So all the things that we have in this world, all the things that we are in this world, they all disappear when the breath goes. So therefore we shouldn't be heedless. And that's what the Buddha taught us, to not be heedless. That our lives are steadily getting shorter. The number of breaths that we have are getting less and less. So we shouldn't... Um, or rather, we should see just how unstable these lives are. There are some people who travel home, but they don't reach their home. They die on the road. And things are not sure in this way. We need to have a lot of mindfulness, and those who are able to survive, they do so because of their mindfulness. It's like how someone in a car, and that car is burning, um, but they're able to have the presence of mind to climb out through the driver's door. And they have this quick wittedness to them because of their mindfulness. So when we go traveling, we should look around and we should think, well, what will we do if there's an accident? If the car catches on fire, how will we escape? We should prepare ourselves first. And like when we go into a hotel room, we should think, well, if there's a fire, how will I escape? We shouldn't just sleep at ease, but rather we prepare ourselves first. We think about these things. We're not heedless. We look after our minds. And so we keep our mindfulness um, well established in this way, to not be heedless. So we see that when we travel um, on a very far journey, that if we don't take supplies with us, then we won't make it, we'll die en route. So these supplies, what they are, the generosity that we do, has become um, what nourishes us both in this world and in the next world. 
in the vehicle that we travel on, this is sila, this is virtue, and it makes our traveling not so difficult. And then we have mindfulness and well-established samadhi. But all of these qualities, they need wisdom as well. Like how when we're generous, that requires our wisdom. To cultivate virtue and to meditate, this requires wisdom. So we have this quality of the practice, we have quality of generosity, and um, all of these, they require our wisdom. And these people who have wisdom, who like to use wisdom, then they should do this. They should contemplate into a constancy, stress, and not self, and see these things. And it's not so difficult for them to do that. And teach the mind that all the things are inconstant. There's no me, there's no other. We contemplate in this way, do this a lot, do it very frequently. Always be abandoning our attachments. Initially, this comes up temporarily through kanaka samadhi. And when kanaka samadhi is there, then there's a little, about a, a little amount of wisdom that comes up. And we develop things in this way, and slowly our samadhi gets better, and our contemplation becomes more clearer, and we're able to let go of things more quickly and more efficiently. Our heart becomes clean. It becomes very at ease. Both the body and mind are buoyant and light. And here we see the results of the practice manifesting for us. They come up in this way. And it can really be amazing. And then our minds, at this point, they recollect the kindness and the compassion of the Buddha, that he built up his Bharami for such a long time to attain to the Dhamma. And then he taught us all this path of practice, this path that is able to take us out of suffering. So therefore, all of us, we are people of faith. We are people who have cultivated generosity and virtue already. So what we need to do now is to meditate, to bring our minds to peace. It's not so difficult. We just stay with Buddha or Dhamma or Sangha. We stay with Itipiso or we contemplate into Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta and do this a lot. If the mind's still very chaotic and stirred up, then we take a very deep breath Breathe in deeply and breathe out deeply. And uh, then we contemplate and see really there's no me, there's no mind to this chaos. When our minds become peaceful, then they also become empty as well. But whatever the case, whether we are close to here or whether we're staying far away, we all take the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, as our highest refuge. And then we come to meditate like we are now. We have this really good opportunity because we have this breath. When we don't have any breath, then we don't have any more opportunity to practice. And we should see that suffering is awaiting for us in the future. So we shouldn't abandon our efforts. We shouldn't be lazy but really put in our efforts. We have this very good opportunity now. We have the time to meditate, to walk into certain meditation, to be contemplating the Dhamma. It's a great opportunity, and there's no better opportunity than what we have right now. And even though some people may have to go off to work, you should have mindfulness there throughout the day. Always be chanting, it to be so, using this as the foundation of the mind. Whether standing, walking, sitting, lying down, always have mindfulness there. If speaking, if listening, always keep her mindfulness with us.
And um, it's more difficult these days than it was before um, to keep our mindfulness because there's so much that's pulling our minds out. All of this news, all of the information that we receive. Um, so we need these chants of Itipi So, uh, for example, to keep our minds with. So may you all be sincere in this, to be walking this path of sila, samadhi, and panya every single day. And uh, eventually, these seven factors for awakening will come up clearly in the heart. Initially, we may not understand these things, but when we experience them for ourselves, we really see that this body is just a body. There's no self, no me, no other to it. The heart perceives things in this way, and so it sees the Dhamma. And when it sees the Dhamma, it's really not something difficult or hard at all. But it's while we're practicing, while we're putting in our efforts, while we're training, that we do need to endure. And this is something that takes a bit of time to build up um, samadhi, to build up wisdom. This takes a bit of time, and it requires our sincerity.